You're listening to the Ministry 127 podcast, a complimentary resource for today's spiritual leader. The purpose of Ministry 127 is to aid Christians in developing a biblical philosophy of ministry. Ministry 127 is a growing online library aimed at assisting ministry workers with Bible-based resources and is a ministry of Pastor Paul Chapel, the Lancaster Baptist Church, and West Coast Baptist College. For more information, visit ministry127.com and subscribe to the Ministry 127 podcast for more practical lessons for today's Christian worker. This Ministry 127 podcast is entitled Instilling Biblical Principles in Your Local Church with Dr. John Getch. Dr. Getch has been in full-time evangelism since 1974, and he became the Executive Vice President of West Coast Baptist College in 1996, where he is involved in training young people for full-time ministry. God's Word and God's work are under great attack today. We see it. We've heard it already in the conference. There's great attack today against the Bible, and there's great attack against the church, against the work of God. I think the reason for that is that both represent an authority. The Word of God is an authority. The local church is an authority. And people don't like authority. People today just kind of want to do what's right in their own eyes. They really don't want any rules. They don't want any fences. They don't want people telling them what to do. They want to form their own beliefs. They don't want an absolute truth. They want a relative truth. And so as a result, people are quick to criticize the Word of God. They're quick to criticize a local church. They are quicker, I suppose, even to dismiss them altogether. and Say, well, the Bible's irrelevant. The church isn't, you know, meeting my needs or whatever. And so there's great attack, certainly from Satan. There's great attack from the world. But there's also a great attack in some ways from our own selves. Now, we know that the Bible works. We know that the Bible is truth, and we know that truth will work. As the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Whenever you use the Bible, God promises to use it in the person's life. It just does. So we know that that the Bible works. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do all that is written therein. And then thou shalt make the way prosperous. Then thou shalt have good success. Success comes as a result of the word of God in our life. So the Bible works. We, We know that the church is God's institution. Jesus said upon this rock, I'll build my church. And aren't you glad the gates of hell shall not prevail against it? God has promised his protection upon the institution of the local church. So God has ordained these authorities. God has promised his power upon them, his provision for them, his protection around them. He promises to use both. I love what 2 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 8 says, You can do nothing against the truth. That's a powerful statement. You can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. You and I can propagate the truth. You and I can preach the truth. You you and I can give out the truth. 
And, the, and, and nothing can prevail against that truth. But here's the problem. While we know that the Bible works, we know that the Bible is truth, we know that God has instituted His church, and that He's promised His power and protection and provision for it, the Bible and the church today are being questioned by God's people. And it's a sad thing that the world rejects the truth of the Bible. It's a sad thing that the world today has dismissed the importance of the church But what's disheartening to most of us in this room is when God's people, those who profess Christ, begin to doubt the Scriptures. When they begin to question whether the church is really important in their life. And they have the attitude, this doesn't work. Or this isn't working. And... We've got to, first of all, ourselves, believe that this is God's Word. And we've got to be convinced ourselves that God has put the local church here for the purpose of reaching this world. And then somehow we've got to instill biblical principles into that local church... So that when God's people come in, so that when even the lost people come in, they understand the fact that, hey, this is God's authority to me. And I would be wise, I would be smart to put myself under the principles, the the convictions, the precepts of the Word of God as ministered through this local church. And Somehow we've got to create within the local church, an environment where people come in and say, I need this. This is important. This is the lamp to my feet. This is the light to my path. This is how I'm going to get through another week. Uh, I'm going to get something today that's going to help me raise my family. I'm going to get something today that's going to help me at work. I'm going to get something today that's going to cause me to be a, 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 a servant that God can use in a greater way. How do we stop this erosion that seems to be taking place today among God's people when it comes to the Bible, the truth of God's Word, and His local church? How do we instill biblical principles into the local church? From 1 Timothy chapter 3, let's look at three vital aspects of biblical principles. Number one, let's consider first the pillar of principles. The pillar of principles. No principle can survive without a foundation and a facilitator. We have an entire book called the Bible that is filled with the principles of truth that God wanted us to have. But those principles cannot survive. They will not survive unless there's a foundation for them. Unless there is a facilitator for them. And the local church becomes that foundation. It becomes that facilitator for truth. Notice letter A. The local church is the foundation of truth. In verse 15 here, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, If I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of of the truth, the pillar and ground 
of truth. Truth was committed to the church. It was committed to the local church. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, he gave that to the local church. When the epistles were written, when these men were moved by the Spirit of God to write these letters, they were written to the local church. Thank God that he has preserved these letters. He's preserved these things for us today in our local churches. But in their original context, they were given to the local church. Truth has been committed. And as a result, that local church becomes the pillar. When I think of a pillar, I think of something foundational. A pillar is at the, at the base of the building, that which supports everything else. That which causes everything else uh, uh, reason to stand. And so the local church is the pillar of the truth. Christ declared himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. He is the head of the body, the church. So Jesus Christ as the truth and as the head of the body, the church, forms the foundation for the principles that God has given to us. So the local church is the foundation of truth, but secondly, letter B, the local church is the facilitator of that truth. He's not only the pillar of truth, but he's the ground of truth. Now I think of a pillar, I think of the foundation, I think of that which supports. When I think of the ground of truth, I, when I think of the ground, perhaps my farming background as a kid growing up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin, when I think of the ground, I think of that which produces fruit, that which produces the harvest, that which produces growth. And the local church is the facilitator of the truth. As people are grounded in the truth, the fruit then that God desires from their life can take place. That's why God says, preach the word. People need the word in order to grow. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that she may grow thereby. No one can grow without the physical nourishment. No one can grow spiritually without the word of God in their life. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the, 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 the church is, is the pillar of the principles that God has for us. We've got to get back to the pillar and ground of truth, the local church. We've got to get the word of God into every ministry, every aspect of that local church. God... God isn't going to change the world through non-church ways. He's established the church as the pillar and ground of truth. Now, there are parachurch organizations, as we sometimes call them, that, that certainly have some value. They, they have some great goals. They, they have wonderful people involved with them. But we must never lose sight of the fact of what the scripture says, and that is that God has given us the church as the pillar and ground of truth. I think back over my lifetime and how certain movements have come along and had perhaps the same motivation that we would have within the context of the local church. 
I think of uh, back in the 60s, the Billy Graham Crusades, the ecumenical crusades. And certainly, I don't question the motive of Dr. Graham and many of the others that worked in that era in large campaigns and citywide meetings and so on. And on the surface, it would appear that many people got saved, and I know that certainly some did. I've met people over my lifetime that have told me they got saved from a Billy Graham sermon or a Billy Graham crusade. Now, I remember as a kid, my dad would would, uh, hurry up the chores on on nights when Billy Graham was preaching on television. We'd sit down as a family and watch those services. And I would watch those many people streaming down those aisles and, and, and trusting Christ as Savior, as it were. And yet, if you think back on that whole movement of the 60s and on beyond that, there really wasn't lasting revival from that because it wasn't connected to the pillar and ground of truth. It wasn't connected to the local church. In the 70s, we had the Jesus movement. And if you're a little bit older, you remember the Jesus movement. And, and there were some people saved in the Jesus movement. I, I preached a revival years ago for a man that was saved uh, in the Jesus movement. He, he, was a, he was a football player at the University of Arkansas. And the Jesus movement rally came to that campus and they preached the gospel, so to speak, or at least gave the gospel and he heard it and he got saved. And uh, years later, went off to Bible college and got trained for the ministry and was, was, was doing a great work for the Lord. There, there were people that were saved in the Jesus movement, but there was nothing lasting from the Jesus movement. Our generation today wouldn't know anything about the Jesus movement. Why? Because it wasn't connected to the pillar and ground of truth. Then you had the 80s and we had the Christian rock concerts. You know, rock music had come on the scene in the 60s and Christians began to think, man, they're drawing these, drawing these big crowds. Why don't, we, why don't we use the same music and throw a few, you know, uh, scriptural terms in there, a few Jesus words, and, and, and we can communicate the gospel through the method or the venue of, of rock music. And so we had these, these, uh, these uh, Christian rock music concerts. And again, perhaps... Somebody got saved. Perhaps somebody got helped. I don't know, but there's nothing lasting. Then we came into the 90s and we saw the Promise Keeper movement. And again, huge crowds, filling stadiums, and people enamored with with what was being presented. But again, there's nothing lasting from that movement. Now in the 2000s, we have the Emergent Church. And it's the same recycle that the devil's been using for years. But none of it is connected to what God said to connect it to. You see? And so God has given us a pillar for the principles. And that pillar is the local church. It's the pillar and ground of the truth. Without that pillar, it all fails. Gentlemen, may I say, if the local church fails, there is nothing else that will bring success. There is no plan B. God has one plan to infuse biblical truth into our culture, and that is through the ministry of the local church. There is no plan B. If plan A fails, if the church fails, if we don't get the job done in our generation through the ministry of the local church, there's nothing else that's going to bring about success. History proves that. 
And in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, people became disenchanted with the local church. They felt like it wasn't in touch, it wasn't in step. We need something new, something different. And yet history proves for 50 years that nothing happens long-lasting that isn't connected to the pillar and ground of the truth. The local church. But notice, secondly, the platform of these principles. The truth of God is what people need. You shall know the truth. The truth shall make you free. Truth is going to be the final judge one day. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I've spoken, the same shall be as judge in the last day. Truth is what people need. Truth is going to be the ultimate accountability. And that's why truth is under great attack. One of the chapters in, in the book, uh, Contemporary Compromise, truth is the target. The devil is always shooting at truth. He's always attacking the truth. Wherever that truth appears, the devil is going after it. And so the truth is under attack. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We're in that time. They're going to go after the, 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 the fables. They're going to have itching ears. They're going to turn to teachers. Notice the plurality of that. And rather than one authority and rather than uh, the word of God as being that final authority, we want all kinds of teachers. We want all kinds of new things, all kinds of concepts. So the devil is attacking that truth. So how do we in our ministries make sure that that truth remains steadfast and in its position so that it can do the job God intended it to do? Letter A, God's principles are established through Scripture. In verse, verse 14, he says, These things write I unto thee. Paul was going to some great lengths to write these letters to churches, to young Timothy, to Titus and others. Why? Because the principles of God are established through his word. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. That we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Our only hope is this book. If you're looking for some other sources, you know, just plagiarize this. You know, God doesn't mind if you copy his ideas. Just preach this. His principles are established in Scripture. In 2 Peter 1, verse 19, we have a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto we do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, until the day star rise in your hearts. Jesus said, Verily I say unto thee, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall pass from the law till all be fulfilled. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Neither much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. 
Look, happy is the man that findeth wisdom and the man that getteth understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She's more precious than rubies and all the things that thou canst desire are not to be compared unto her. Length of days is in her right hand and her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are the ways of pleasantness. All her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her and happy is every man that retaineth her. God's principles are established through the scripture. And then God's principles are expressed through his servants. In verse 14, Paul says, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. I find that interesting. That Paul had an opportunity here to write to Timothy the very word of God. But he said, Timothy, I'm hoping I can come to you shortly. God has chosen to use people as conduits to communicate his content. If I were God, I'm not sure I would have done that. Because I know how frail the human instrument is. But God has chosen to use us. And there's something about the servant of God that presents the scripture of God. For instance, the book of Romans is is an amazing book. It is a very doctrinal book. It is a book that certainly is teaching those young believers there in Rome and the church some very important concepts concerning salvation and then sanctification and service. Amazing doctrinal book. Very, very rich in its content. And, and Paul, the apostle, the great Christian that he was, he had to have sensed as he was penning those words, the wonderful inspiration of the Spirit of God that was giving them to him. Knowing that this is amazing. I mean, can you imagine being one of those human writers? And realizing that you're, you're, you're penning the very word of God. Being inspired by God to give to these people that which God wants them to have. And I think that Paul understood very clearly that what he was writing to that church at Rome was some awesome truth. But listen to what he says in Romans 1 and verse 10. Making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end ye may be established. Paul recognized that what he was writing on those pages of that letter was the very word of God. Yet he said, I can't wait till I can come in person. Because there's something about this book when it's preached that has amazing impact. And God has called you to do that. Charles Finney, the evangelist of yesteryear, lived in a time period when many major newspapers would print the sermons of local pastors as well as evangelists. They came to Charles Finney one day from the New York Times and they said, Mr. Finney, may we print your sermons in the paper? He said, you can print the sermon, but you can't print the fire. 
And there is something about that. If you've ever heard a sermon on cassette or a uh, CD and then heard the same sermon preached, there is a difference. There's a difference between reading a, a sermon in a book and hearing it preached. And, and what Paul was trying to communicate there was, I, 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 what I'm giving you is the very word of God, but I can't wait to get there and preach it to you. To preach that word, to preach that truth to you. There's a uniqueness. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Preach the word. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. What a wonderful and awesome privilege it is to be the platform of the principles of, of, of the God of heaven to those people that walk through the doors. That you are that voice box, you are that conduit through which the word of God, the principles of God's word must flow to their heart. So we see the pillar of principles, we see the platform of those principles, but now we get to the crux of the matter as he speaks of the picture of principles. This is really the heart of chapter 3. In verse 16, he talks about without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness. God needs to connect the truth of his word with the preacher of that word so that that combination of truth can reach the heart of the person in that pew. It's a mystery. We're not always sure how God exactly does that. But God takes the word of God and he saturates the preacher's life with it. He, someone asked a preacher one time, how long did it take you to write that sermon? He said, all my life. And it really is true that your whole life goes into every sermon in some fashion or form. And God weds these two together. He weaves the life, the conduit with the content. And, and through that mystery of godliness, he's able to communicate that content to the individual. Jesus Christ was that perfect picture. We beheld his glory, the glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word of God became literal flesh and people not only now could hear the word of God, but they could see the very Son of God and that combination of truth and a life that lived that truth was an amazing, powerful thing. But Jesus Christ isn't here today. And so he's chosen you. We become the picture. We become the picture of the principles of God's word. There are several components to this picture. Letter A, we must be a proven person. In verse 6, he says, not a novice. Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. We must be careful not to push too fast. To let God develop our lives. 
to let God develop others around us. George Whitfield said in 1750 to an inspiring young preacher, he said, you would do well to read more. It has long since been my judgment that it would be best for many of the present preachers to have a tutor and retire for a while and be content with preaching now and then till they were a little more improved. Otherwise, I fear many who now make a temporary figure will grow weary of the work and leave it. What was he saying? He's saying a preacher needs to be proven. He's not to be a novice. He's not to just rush into this calling without any preparation. Without God first working in his own life. Jesus said in Luke 6.40, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. The word perfect there is a very interesting word. It means fully trained. In John 14 and verse 12, Jesus said, uh, Greater works than these shall ye do, because I go unto my Father. When Jesus left, he told his disciples that he had fully trained. They were now ready. Why? Because for three years he had spent time with them, ministering to them, showing them as an example. They were learning of him as they were around him. And now he said, you're going to do greater works. Why? Because you have been trained. And, and, and they still struggled, as we know. Are you equipping yourself? Wherever you are in your journey as a preacher, are you studying to show thyself approved unto God? A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You can never exhaust this book. You will never understand all of God's truth. But every one of us in this room today who, who calls ourselves a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary, a preacher of the gospel, we need to be, we need to be preparing ourselves, training ourselves. Your people have the benefit of listening to you and they, they become equipped through your preaching. You need a preacher. And here's the prince of preachers. The Holy Spirit of God working through His Word. But if you and I are not disciplined in our schedule enough to take time to study, to get down and mind the Word of God, then we are ill-equipped to do God's work. Secondly, he must be a productive person. In verse 1, this is a true saying, If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. There's no place for laziness in the ministry. No place for wastefulness, lack of discipline. We need to develop a work ethic that is excellent. Now, don't put work before worship. But don't be a waster either. It's important we worship. I said recently, God's not looking for workers who find time to worship. God's looking for worshipers who find time to work. But while we understand the priority of our time with God individually and our time alone with Him, our time in prayer, our time with the Word of God, our, our time in meditation and, and allowing God to speak to us, we must put our hand to the plow. Whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do it with thy might. 
I must work the works of him that sent me while it's day. For the night cometh when no man can work. You say, well, I'm just thinking the Lord's going to come back any time. God says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Too many people, when the days get evil, they just say, well, you know, let's just wait for the Lord to come back. Let's just pray for the trumpet. Well, God says, redeem the time, not because it's going well, not because you're having a revival. Redeem the time because the days are evil. He must be a productive person. We want to be delegators of the word instead of doers of the word. It's easy when you get to the position of pastor, missionary, evangelist, whatever. It's easy to get to that place where you just tell everybody else to do the work. We're to be doers of the word. Stop saying, get going, and start saying, let's go. Thirdly, he must be a partnered person. In verse 2, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. Verse 4, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Family has to be on board. You need a partner in this work. Every wife will take perhaps a a, a different type of role as a pastor's wife, depending on your children, depending on her talents, depending on the situation, obviously. But we need someone who is standing with us, standing for us. Best advice I ever got in college was from a a music professor. He said, John, don't marry a business partner, marry a wife. That was good advice. Your marriage is a picture of Christ in the church. Your children exemplify your leadership abilities. A partnered person. Fourthly, we need to be a pious person. In verse 2, the Bible uses the word blameless. uses the word sober. It uses the word of good behavior. A pious person. I've often explained this word blameless means without handles. It doesn't mean we're perfect. We already knew that. But sometimes even people in the congregation can kind of think that we, we've got it so together that we don't make any mistakes. And that's not true. We know as preachers we have feet of clay. That we are just human flesh saved by the grace of God. But blameless means not perfect, but it means without handles. That is, there should not be anything in our life whereby someone can latch on to and pull us down and worse yet pull the gospel down with us. If you've ever watched a football game, you you know that the biggest people on the team wear the tightest uniforms. You ever notice that? The big fat guys up front, big old bellies. Their uniforms are so tight. I mean, you know, if I gain a little weight, I buy a bigger bigger shirt. (laughs) But they wear those tight jerseys. Man, they tuck the sleeves underneath their their armpits. I mean, you can see, you can see their 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 armpits, you can see everything, you see the shoulder pads sticking out. I mean, they they've got the tightest jersey. They have to cut them off. The game's over. They can't pull them off. They cut them off. Now why? Why are those big, ugly, fat guys up front? Why do they wear the tight jerseys? Without handles. You see, down in those trenches where all that stuff's going on, it's real easy for those linemen to get a hold of each other's jersey. 
The ref can't see it. It's in here. And they can control that, that other player by hanging on to that jersey, grabbing onto something. They can push them to one side or the other. When I was playing football, we used to put Vaseline on our jerseys. They made that illegal. <laughs> but that way, nobody could, nobody could grab it without handles. And our life is to be without handles. There shouldn't be anything that, that, that someone... See, Paul said, neither give offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Take heed unto thyself. Physician, heal thyself. Keep thyself pure. In a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. Sanctified, meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. Oh, the great quote by Robert Murray McChain, how diligently the cavalry officer keeps his saber clean and sharp. Every stain he rubs off with the greatest of care. Remember, you are God's instrument. I trust a chosen vessel unto him to bear his name. In great measure, according to the purity and perfection of the instrument, will be the success. It is not great talents God blesses so much as likeness to Jesus. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hand of God. A pious person. And then, fifthly, a pastoral person. Verse 2, apt to teach. Preaching, counseling, teaching, mentoring. Oh, it all involves people, doesn't it? <laughs> Ministry would be great if it weren't for people. We get to lead sheep. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. The people that God has saved and placed into your ministry, God put them there and he gives us the responsibility now of being the right picture. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. Not by constraint, not... Uh, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Not as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Are your sheep healthy? Look well to the state of your flock. Are your sheep healthy? Sometimes, not often, but sometimes I get in a church with a pastor and the whole time I'm with him in revival, he's telling me how unhealthy his sheep are. Telling me how wicked his deacons are and how unfaithful this guy is and that guy is. And you know, if the sheep are unhealthy, maybe we're not feeding. Maybe we're not leading. I'm not saying it's the only reason why someone would be unhealthy, but it certainly has to start there. We are to feed. We are to lead. We are to guide. We are to, we are to, to, to be that pastor to them. Then letter F, he must be a patient person. Verse 3, not a striker. Verse 3, not, he must be patient, not a brawler. Oh, patience. Boy, that's a tough one, isn't it? We were doing okay. I don't like to wait. My dad was a very patient man. And on a farm, you have to be patient. As James said, you have to wait for the early and the latter rain. You, let that, you have to let patience have its perfect work. Focus on faithfulness, not on fast. Focus on steadfastness, not on speed. 
Focus on progress, not on perfection. I tell our college students over and over and over and over again, we're not looking for perfection, we're looking for progress. And you have to be patient. You have to let God do that work. Isn't it fun to see your people grow? Isn't it fun to see them make progress? And yet sometimes they go through those lulls, they go through those discouragements, and and, and if we're not patient, we can push them away. A patient person. And then letter G, a, a personable person. Verse number two, given to hospitality. People need to be around us. Jesus said, take my yoke and learn of me. He called the twelve that they might be with him. Paul said to Timothy, thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life. Boy, when Timothy got done with his apprenticeship with Paul, he knew the word of God. Paul made sure that he had a full uh, 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 concept of God's word. But, But Paul said, you've not only fully learned my doctrine, you fully know my life. You've watched me. Letter H, a prudent person. Verse 3, not given to wine. Verse 3, not greedy of filthy lucre. Verse 3, not covetous. I think what he's saying here is we've got to control our flesh. Gentlemen, this is not a career. This is a calling. This is not about you. This is about him. This is not my advancement. It's his promotion. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself a servant. A prudent person. Then a persevering person. Verse 2, vigilant. Gentlemen, we, we, we can't let stuff stop us. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. There's a lot of adversity. There's a lot of discouragement. There's a lot of stuff flying in our face all the time. We got to stay with it. When they they wrote William Carey's biography, William Carey really didn't want them to write it. If you know anything about William Carey, what a a tremendous man. But he, he really didn't want anybody writing about his life. But he said this about his biographer. He said, if he paints me as a plotter, I will be happy. I can plod. Now, if you know, I mean, Carrie translated the Bible into 40 languages. Amazing. Amazing. And yet he said, when he looked at his life, he said, you know what I can do? I can just persevere. I can just keep going. I can just plod. And you know, if you just keep going, if you stay in this thing long enough, eventually, by the time you get done, there'll be something there. But if you faint in the day of adversity, the first trial comes, the first uh, uh, obstacle comes your way, nothing's going to happen. A persevering person, and then letter J, a perpetuating person. Verse 7, he says, moreover, we must have a good report of them which are without. He's talking about the unsaved here. Know how... Reproduction is what it's all about. He that when a souls is wise. And in the midst of all the things that we're responsible for within the church, we've got to, we've got to focus on those fields that are white to harvest. We've got to be a perpetuating person of the truth. 
We can't simply within our four walls teach the truth and make sure everybody knows the truth and believes the truth and is committed to the truth. But we've got to send those people out and go with them into the highways and hedges and compel others to come in. During the Great Awakening, one of the, one of the great little facts about that time period was they said in the evenings there were more people gathered at the office door of Jonathan Edwards waiting to get saved than there were at the local bar. And while Jonathan Edwards probably in many ways didn't approach ministry in the ways that we would approach it today. But there was something that was going on there by his spirit that God was using Jonathan Edwards to draw people to the Savior and, and people were standing in line, people were waiting outside for, 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 for a few minutes to be able to talk with this man on how to get saved and more people going to his door at night than going to the bars. If biblical principles survive the 21st century, and they are at risk this afternoon. But if they are going to survive, they're going to need a pillar, they're going to need a platform, and they're going to need a picture. Content, working through a conduit to communicate. The Bible... Spoken through the preacher to the congregation using the method of preaching. By God's grace, you are God's man. And because you are, you are a model to communicate his message through the methods of ministry to the masses. And may it not be said of our generation, somewhere in there, We lost biblical principles in the church. Because if you look back over the last hundred years, you can find a lot of church buildings all across the landscape of America and England that once trumpeted the biblical principles, but today are museums of truth. Truth has become a dinosaur. It is non-existent. It's become extinct. The Bible would not even be opened in those pulpits or those churches today. Truth is under attack. The Word of God, the local church are under attack because it represents the authority of God. We've got to come back to that authority. Don't be embarrassed about it. Don't be intimidated by the attack. Hold up the biblical principles and watch God do the work through the power of his word. As his spirit takes this book, it's the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. May God help us to keep the biblical principles in the ministry of our local churches. Thank you for listening to this Ministry 127 podcast. This lesson was on This lesson was on instilling biblical principles in your local church with Dr. John Getch. This podcast was designed to equip spiritual leaders to grow in the word and develop a biblical philosophy of ministry for today's local church. Be sure to let a friend know about ministry127.com. 
Also, for Christ-honoring publications, please visit strivingtogether.com for resources that encourage spiritual growth and the local church ministry. Thank you for listening to this Ministry 127 podcast.